Welcome, I'm Tom Tullock, Chief Commercial Officer here at Process Miner. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Process Miner University, a podcast series highlighting thought leadership in the manufacturing industry. So let me introduce Gary Robinson. Gary is CEO of Synaptic Packaging and founder of startup firm Silacorp. And by way of some background on Gary, I think it's safe to argue that we couldn't have asked for a better thought leader for today's discussion on digital trends powering the circular economy. Gary brings with him over 25 years of experience in the global consumer packaging world, including the Home Depot, Kraft Foods, Dual Rubbermaid, and Amway. Gary, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Let me begin by asking you for a quick definition of the economy and feel free to share with us some of your thoughts on the trends you see taking hold in manufacturing today. Hey Tom, well uh, good afternoon and thank you uh, for having me here today. Really appreciate it. It's an honor to, to be here with you guys and have a chance to talk about sustainability and uh, you know what's changing in the world of business as we know it and how you know, we can help some of our listeners be better tuned in to these advances and, and you know, basically look for opportunities to, to be more competitive in this space. Um, so you mentioned the topic of the circular economy and I think that's a really fantastic place for us to start our exploration because you know, Tom, you and I, you know, we've grown up in a world uh, of business as we know it today, which is, you know, founded on the linear economy. And a lot of people, you know, get confused and don't understand what's the difference between a linear economy or a circular economy, or you know, maybe the terms are new to them. Maybe they've never heard them before. To, to kind of make it simple, uh, the word linear economy basically depicts the business model uh, that we like to summarize as take, make, and waste. And basically, it embodies you know, harvesting raw materials. You take the raw materials away from the earth, if you will. You process them to make something. And then when you're done with it, it goes to waste. And so in a linear economy, uh, from a business standpoint, a lot of the accountability ends at the, um, the sales transaction, right? You sell the product. As soon as the consumer buys it, a lot of the accountability leaves there. When we start to look at... Um, you know, the emerging global trends of the population growth, the resource consumption, and the emerging economies. You know, what happens when uh, high-density populations around the world start to consume in a manner similar to what Americans consume, right? It, it puts a major strain on global resources. And so the idea of the circular economy is emerging as a mechanism where we can now um, take more responsibility at utilizing the resources that we harvest to the maximum economic extent possible. And that includes capturing the return loop, which is to reuse them and reprocess them for other purposes or other products or the same products. Okay, so the key differential between a linear economy and a circular economy is that you now have the accountability for that return loop, which is what happens after you're done with the product. And the purpose for that, that you know, comes into play from a business standpoint is that we're trying to utilize resources better and we're trying to deal with these large systemic issues such as bioaccumulation of waste and toxicity. So when we think about you know, the business opportunities and opportunities for growth to transition to a circular economy, we now have to start thinking about designing for success that includes the end of life. You know, is something recyclable? Is it compostable? Can it be reused? Um, is the product contributing to toxicity? or bioaccumulation of waste or problems that we see in the world around us. So it's a whole new dynamic uh, in business and it's a whole new dynamic in 
opportunities to be you know, uh, richly competitive in, in innovation in this space. So uh, I noticed you used the, the three R's there, uh, reduce, reuse, and recycle. These, uh, some of these concepts are not new to manufacturing. However, it seems as though lately there is a much greater emphasis on the three R's. So could you talk a little bit about that and how manufacturing is adjusting their operations to achieve uh, the, the circular economy versus the linear economy? Yeah, yeah, and it's a very good point you bring up there, uh, Tom, because what we have is, is we've got a grassroots element here of sustainability, which is driven by you know, consumer and consumer elevated awareness of these issues. And it, it's highly uh, important to consumers. As you look at the market research, it's going to tell you that consumers genuinely care. So there's this grassroots pull that's, that's being generated by the consumers. But I'll also emphasize to you that there's a tremendous amount of confusion out there. There's a lot of noise in the system. There's a lot of greenwashing going on. There's a lot of people just really just don't fully understand. And, and I think this topic is really important for us, Tom, because this brings us into the more progressive strategies around sustainability. And what we're seeing emerging here uh, as aggressive or as emerging strategies, if you will, is around the topic of materiality. And materiality is development of global standards and standard bodies that are now establishing what attributes are going to be measured how they're defined, and how companies are going to be accountable for reporting those metrics. And, and this is creating a, a, an overarching uh, infrastructure from a fiscal standpoint, because it allows benchmarking from one company to the next in terms of how they use their resources, what kind of emissions they put out, and who is more competitive than their peers in terms of utilizing the least amount of materials to produce the same quality of goods or services in the marketplace. And so all this uh, is happening in parallel now. We're starting to create that connectivity between consumer demand and financial accountability, which embodies this term that we refer to in business of resiliency, which is the fact that you're building a business that is more competitive, that is more likely to survive and perform and thrive through the adverse challenges brought about by um, you know, a, an economy that's more strained due to the resources that we're pulling upon it. Fantastic, so I'd like to key in on a few, a few points that you made there. So uh, greenwashing is uh, nothing new, right? This has been going on for a long time, I think. And uh, you know, that's changing. It's good to know that most of this is being driven by the consumer because I think that will accelerate the three R's for, for manufacturing. But tell me a little bit more about uh, what trends you're seeing towards, uh, you know, fighting the greenwashing that goes on in the system and what investments manufacturers are making uh, to be, uh, to not only hold themselves more accountable, but to be more accountable to the supply chain that they serve. Yeah, that's a, it's a very good question. And, and I know greenwashing gets a lightning rod of a, of a, of a verbiage, if you will, with a lot of folks. And my experience thus far, Tom, is that a lot of that is, is anchored in a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. I don't think it's necessarily people trying to, to behave badly. It's just there's a lot of folks that, that just really don't understand the science and the drivers behind it. And they, they get very caught up on the passion of trying to, to make a claim, but not understanding you know, what's really behind the claim. And this is what we're finding now is that there's getting more transparency and visibility into the raw data. And the advice I give my clients is that 
claims are earned, not given, which is to say you've got to have a strategy in place. You have to work diligently to achieve that strategy and achieve those goals to obtain those materiality metrics. Then you can make the appropriate uh, claims, if you will. And this is why I said a few minutes ago that sustainability is becoming uh, a new competitive front because those claims are oftentimes very hard to achieve. And, and it takes a lot of good hard work and innovation to achieve them. So that's, that's what we're seeing now. Um, and, and with that, um, as material reporting becomes pervasive through the economics and investor network, you start to actually get the fiscal credit for those work products. So it's not just a consumer claim, it's the ability to actually lower your footprint and lower your metrics on year over year reporting, if you will, to Wall Street or to your um, upstream uh, customers or consumers. Fascinating. So um, when I hear that, it makes me think that, um, you know, investment in the circular economy and uh, the achievements that manufacturers are making in this category could actually be um, a competitive advantage. Could you speak a little bit about that? It certainly is. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and that is where I'm spending most of my time these days is, is helping companies um, create that connectivity. Uh, I use the term daisy chain, and I think it's the appropriate uh, terminology if people understand the concept. And what we're finding is that there are um, standards that are being established for brands to, or companies, to say brands, companies to report their materiality. And that is all of your current footprinting, that's how you're recycling, that's your people, your products, your processes, um, it, it's all the elements that tie into sustainability. Well, as you start to report those to standardized metrics, then you realize that to achieve your goals, you're gonna to have to 360 empower your supply chain network. And it creates a pull through, right? So if you start at the top of the food chain and you want to achieve a goal, then you look to have all of your supply chain partners participating in the achievement of your goal so that you can actually take the credit of the work that's being done within your supply chain. So all these things, uh, a good sustainability strategy aligns those stars, leverages that and maximizes that pull through so that companies are able to achieve those goals and most importantly, Tom, be able to, to show year over year performance because this is something that is now being measured, not just a one-time snapshot, it's, it's gonna be how did you do versus a year ago, versus five years ago, versus 10 years ago, et cetera. Maybe another analogy that you can think about is gonna look like you know, fuel standards in cars and how over the years, you know, that was a year over year over year over year pursuit to, to achieve those goals. You're seeing a similar kind of a, a mechanism playing out now in sustainability where these materiality metrics are gonna be analyzed year over year over year to increase in performance, increase um, efficiencies, and you know, frankly, make us a more productive uh, company, if you will. Very interesting. So um, one of the things that I'm hearing is, is the importance of uh, obviously reporting um, those gains. And tell me a little bit about how challenging that is, uh, particularly from a manufacturer who, let's say, has been, been around for a very long time, um, maybe working from old equipment. And, and what what role data, good data, plays in, in uh, the reporting? And, and are there standards that people adhere to? I, I see these sustainability reports, particularly from public companies uh, that are being made available 
Um, if you could go into a little bit of that, I'd love to learn more about it. just how challenging it is to report and sort of what investments are being made to get at the right data and, and how challenging it is to, to do the reporting to uh, and all that. Please expand a little on that if you Yeah, I'll come on a couple of different axes. So uh, for one, you know, sustainability is a fascinating topic. This is why I'm, I'm so passionate about it. It, it certainly plays to the heart. So there's a marketing component to it that, that the marketing creative folks can, can very much embrace and embody and run with and, and tell compelling stories about. But for those of the science and the business acumen, you're going to find that it is an extremely data-rich topic. And when you think about trying to measure the environmental footprint or social economic footprint of a company, you can just visualize how many different data fields you need to be able to pull, that you need to be able to have repeatability in the collection of that data and accuracy of that data so that you can you know, calculate, project, and report differentials. So what I find is a lot of companies um, either A, don't have the data immediately, or they have it and it's disjointed, or it's isolated in individual standalone, you know, Excel spreadsheets, if you will. Uh, that's usually a place where I start with helping companies, but we quickly need to mature them off of, you know, static data tables and get them into live data fields so that we can actually track and record these, these performance metrics to the standards that are established so that we can show the work product of the efforts that we're applying. So, you know, similar to, to understanding you know, your technologies, right? Um, you know, this is where you thrive, right? My understanding is that process miner, your, your core competency is, is, is capturing those data, anticipating and predicting. Is, is that correct, Tom, am I summarizing it? Yes, that's certainly part of what we do. Um, you know, there, artificial intelligence is, is the primary driver behind our platform. Um, but, you know, our, our focus is on product quality, right? So that's uh, about eliminating waste and improving the man manufacturing process so that, uh, you know, the end product, uh, there's a lot less scrap, a lot less energy used, uh, better, better usage of raw materials. So it's, it's kind of like the circular economy in a way, but this isn't a process minor commercial. I'm really more interested in, you know, who the leaders and who the laggards are in manufacturing as you know it and as you see it. And, you know, uh, what challenges uh, companies are saddled with in terms of getting to a point where they can feel good about the strides and uh, that they're making in this area of their business. Yeah, so the, the companies that are, are leading and lagging, um, you can actually go out and, and analyze this. Um, it, it takes a lot of research, but now that it's quickly becoming more publicly available data, as you would looking at somebody's financial reports, you can now start to glean insights on how progressive companies are with their sustainability strategies and actualize them. If you rewind, rewind this back, you know, five some years ago, Tom, um, you know, we heard these CEOs making these big audacious statements. You know, we call them moonshot statements, right? Where they're, they're pointing to the sky and they're saying, you know, we're going to go to the moon. And everyone scratched their heads like, really, how are they going to do that? But now, five years later, we're starting to, to understand, you know, how these strategies are evolving and how they're, they're playing through the organizations. So you can actually go out there and research on financial databases to, to find out uh, how companies are performing versus their peer groups. So you asked for a couple names. I mean, just, you know, some of the top leaders, uh, top of my head, you know, folks like Unilever, PepsiCo, uh, Denone, uh, Tyson's Foods doing a great job. 
you know, P&G is doing a pretty good job and all these different companies are, are in their space, um, you know, starting to do leadership activities. And the only thing about it is, is your ability to, to custom tailor um, your strategy to the interests and needs of your consumers and stakeholders, right? So understanding what you can really be a strong advocate and influencer on is one of the key opportunities of, of being a leader in this segment. Fascinating. So, you know, uh, something you mentioned there uh, really strikes a chord with me, and that is this circular economy uh, truly involves everybody at the company, doesn't it? And, um, you know, who typically owns this initiative? You mentioned the C-suite, but how does that then purvey itself down throughout the organization? And what sort of investments are required to, to be, uh, you know, a green company, if you could call it? Yeah, so it, it's a very disciplined process. It usually starts with a governance board, and the governance board typically has direct line of report up to the CEO and the board of directors, okay? And, and that's for uh, accountability and, um, and transparency. Uh, usually the companies will assign a chief sustainability officer to, to be that reporting entity. Um, most of these companies that, that, that deal with this, they start off with a very small team, a lot of external resources, and obviously, you know, mature in terms of internal resources. Um, but a lot of that is, is a matter of, of the ability to uh, accumulate the data and then to build the compelling strategies. Now, this, the compelling strategies are all based on 360-degree stakeholder analysis. And, and usually in the sustainability world, you know, we're leading through influence. It, it's not so much a whole team of direct reports as oftentimes it is leading through influence. It's getting people to develop strategies that are meaningful, that are aligned, that are properly stitched together, and, and being able to do that in a compelling manner to, to drive those results. And what we're finding is that because so much of this um, is requiring new development, that there's a fair amount of engagement through R&D and through the manufacturing footprint. Because ultimately what you're trying to influence is, is the impact that you're making in your products in your production and your distribution of your goods. Fantastic. So um, it strikes me that you're, you're clearly a thought leader in this category. My guess is we could probably sit here and talk for hours about this topic. But if you were to give uh, advice to somebody that's just embarking upon this circular economy, what, uh, what advice would you give them about how to get started and what pitfalls to avoid along the way? Yeah, the first place we like to start is basically let, let's get people you know, as quick as possible into um, you know, materiality assessments, understanding you know, what is their strategy, what is their impact, what is their current footprint. And, and as I mentioned before, we like to get them started on live data right away because the fact that if you start with static data, you're always you know, behind the eight ball. So we're, we're always trying to, to get them early adopters into a live data stream for that reason and organizing it so that it's compliant to things like GRI, SASB, and other standard bodies. Uh, and then from there, you know, you, you get your baseline, and once your baseline is established, you're, you're working towards year-over-year -year strategy, which means you've got to have a roadmap, right? You can't just start the ball rolling and not know where you're going. So it's, it's very important to get that leadership vision, that leadership buy-in, and to, to have those um, key areas that you want to be influencing and driving and a lot of that, uh, Tom, is driven by your, your competitive uh, positioning. You know, what are you trying to accomplish versus your peers? Because we find that to be one of the most compelling motivators 
for the CEOs and, and leadership teams is that they want to make sure that they are not only at parity to their peers, but hopefully accelerating in a compelling manner that is meaningful to their stakeholders, their investors, and their customers. Excellent. You mentioned uh, GRI and SASB. So um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, for our listeners, could you explain a little bit more around that type of reporting and where they can go to get uh, information and proficiency on that type of yeah, those, those are two. Uh, there's others, um, but those are two that you know, usually are the first things that you see. So if you ever see a company that does a sustainability report, uh, if they're doing what I'll call a good sustainability report, then it's going to be GRI compliance. And GRI is basically um, a body that has set standards as to how to go about disclosing um, you know, elements of sustainability, you know, people, process, planet you know, type of, a, of a criteria. SASB is the agency that is, is basically a sister agency to FASB. And FASB is the standards body that is set up for accounting. SASB is the sustainability um, standards board. And so they're setting up the uh, procedures for measuring the materiality of a company as it relates to the financial implications of that company and the financial risks. So if you go out onto the stock market today and go research different funds, you can find out how one fund is competing versus another fund in terms of its financial, uh, in terms of its sustainability performance. And then you can look at the companies that are being held by that fund and find out whether those companies are either helping that fund's rating or pulling that rating down and how they compete versus their peers. And so this is where you can go out there and you can look at these sort of things and analysts are looking at it, investors are looking at it. They're looking at it from a growth perspective. They're also looking at it from a risk perspective. And the, the, the viewpoint there is that if you're not doing these things, you're more of a risk than your peer group who is doing it. Because basically your peer group has thought through the risk events, has come up with a, a proactive strategy, and is actually measuring your performance. And if you're basically asleep and not doing anything about it, you're perceived as having a higher risk factor versus your peer so that's how all this stuff, as I said, daisy chain, it all kind of comes together. And, and I think that's an important message for what we want to talk about today because it, it does permeate all the way through the supply chain, right? Because the way you achieve your goals is by having a strategy and activating your supply chain to support you towards achieving your strategy. Most of your materiality impact is going to come through your supply chain. And so that's where you want to really get them hooked up and engaged to achieve your goals. So companies that are more progressive in this are going to be better prepared to respond to the needs of their customers, and they're going to be better prepared to help elevate their rating of their customers. Yeah, it really is fascinating. I, I uh, Just before we started this podcast, I was on LinkedIn, and I noticed a very large packaging firm actually uh, sharing the sustainability report through LinkedIn. So it almost seems as if it's digital advertising or digital marketing now. Uh, so I think that's a trend we'll probably see uh, gain momentum. So uh, Gary, uh, if you had to look out uh, five years into the future, how different will the world be uh, in manufacturing and what will be uh, the enablers that people are using to become uh, better global citizens around uh, sustainability? Yeah, very good question. Five years um, happens very fast, as we know in our careers, uh, but we also can, can look back five years and realize just 
uh, you know, how things can quickly transform. Uh, I think the biggest driver right now that's going to impact sustainability in the next five years is going to be the, the convergence of big data. And, and I say that with confidence because we all know what a wrecking machine big data is for disruptive innovation. And as big data starts to accumulate and starts to get fiscally aligned, it is, it is a mere, as I call it, synaptic connection before it ends up in the palm of your hands and, and empowering a consumer to make informed buy decisions. So I, I think what you're going to see here in the next five years is this is going to become very real and very fiscally important and that we are very much so in uh, a competitive landscape around this. I also think it's going to bring more transparency to the liability and the risk factors in that uh, circular economy on that return loop because those who have not been progressed in sustainability are still thinking business-wise in a linear economy and, and they've got a tremendous amount of unrealized risk hiding under the, the ground, if you will, to which they're going to start to be accountable for. And I think that's going to be a big shift because everybody's looking to build those solutions and there's a cost associated with that. And those that are not proactively resolving it are going to be more liable to the expense, if you will. Does that make sense? It does, absolutely. So um, we, I think we've covered a lot here today. Gary, I want to thank you for joining uh, this uh, podcast uh, for Process Minor University. Uh, any parting thoughts before we, we leave? I think you guys are, I appreciate being on here. Uh, thank you so much for, for having me. It's been a really fun dialogue. Um, it's a pleasure working with you, Tom. And uh, I think it's, a, it's an exciting journey ahead for us. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to uh, you know, help people advance their sustainability strategies. So, so thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you for being with us and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. I think this is a series we could make uh, and, and revisit uh, throughout the life of Process Minor University. So thank you for your time and sharing your expertise. All right, guys. Have a good day. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to today's Process Minor University podcast. Be sure to tune in or subscribe to each podcast and enjoy a new and interesting topic in your quest to become a digital manufacturing expert. Come prepared to learn from highly recognized subject matter experts who will share their knowledge on the latest digital trends transforming our industry. In the meantime, stay safe and innovate boldly.